The, this week, I took a compressed class in graduate studies, radiator replacement. <laughs> it, was, it was remarkable. I, I never met anybody like Vinnie Damon. He is an extraordinary human being. And I, I found out when I worked with him replacing my radiator in my car, he had all kinds of methods and techniques for doing stuff. I never saw them before in my life. I felt like I was in a PhD program, like he would make me do things like this. He'd have little tin cans on the workbench, and he'd say, every part I take out of the car now, I want you to put it in one of those tin cans and then draw a label and point to the can and tell me what's in that can. I've never had an experience like that. He's the most fastidious per And I, I, I found out his father was pretty tough. <coughs> Wasn't he, Ben? So he didn't stand for much nonsense. He would have tin cans all the same size. <laughs> He would have been disappointed that you had some of the cans too, maybe bigger than he thought they should have been. Well, I want to talk about, uh, I want to talk a little bit about last Sunday, but I'm going to talk about it in a slightly offhanded way. I want to talk about something that Jesus said in John 15 that changes relationships in a remarkable way. And uh, we'll have to look at that a little more closely today. There's a metaphor in John 15 of the vine and the branches. Everybody knows that passage. And uh, it underscores how our salvation from beginning to end is all of grace. Jesus is the proof that God had to send his beloved son to be the faithful remnant of Israel, the true vine and the fruitful vineyard. You could look this up if you wanted to in Psalm 80 and in Isaiah 5 and Ezekiel 15. By the Spirit's presence in our lives, we have entered into an organic union with, with Christ, a union of branches to the vine. We are, as the New Testament puts it time and time again, in Christ. We are engrafted into the true Israel. Our lives are hidden with Christ in God. Here Jesus says that he chose his disciples to be his branches. They did not choose him. This is how bad off we are. We can't even figure out what we need. And... Uh, Jesus says, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, and so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This reminds us that our calling as Christ's disciples, there is a simplicity to the rhythm which Christ calls us to. It's as spoken of in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. He warns us not to be led astray from our sincere and pure devotion to Christ. This is really what is being taught by the vine metaphor. To marinate, to
to follow his counsel, to go deeper still into Jesus. This is why the Lord's Prayer is so important to us. It's simple. And uh, a curious, remember, a curious disciple. And pay attention, church, to the simplicity in Luke chapter 11, verses 9 and 10. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And the one who knocks, the door will be opened. There is a repetition to our walk with Jesus that can be acquired in no other way. I saw, I know that I was in the Vinnie Damon school of repetitive stuff because it was kind of the way that God was going to tell me something. Vinnie didn't know that he was going to be giving me a major league spiritual lesson you got to just do the same thing the same way. Uh, and when we got all done putting the radiator in, I, I was stunned how easy it was at the end because we had everything labeled. And we started putting screwing screws in and everything was going where it was supposed to go. E even the few pieces we lost, <laughs> which was probably my fault, um, we figured out we, we could... Like, who has screws in his collection that fit in your car when you lost a screw? <laughs> Vinny, I, I go with Vinny, I follow him into his basement, and he pulls out a drawer, and there's all these perfect 10-millimeter screws, just perfect, that are going to cinch my radiator in place. I was impressed. Not So everyone who asks, okay, so there's scriptures telling us over and over again, if you seek the Lord your God, you will find him if you seek him with all your heart. First Chronicles 16.10, glory in his name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Seek the Lord in his strength. Seek his presence continually. Do we not find the same encouragement in the New Testament? 1 Thessalonians 5.17 encourages us to pray without ceasing. How do humans do this? How do we pray without ceasing? The only way that we can do that is establishing rhythms of diligence I guess you could call it a life liturgy. Like, this is my pattern. This is, this, this is what I was learning from Vinny this week. Jesus, Paul, and the apostles all learned to pray this way. 9 a.m., 12 noon, 3 p.m. Every day for Jerusalem Jews. They went to the temple and they prayed on the hours. 9 a.m., 12 noon, 3 p.m. Probably Paul spent about three hours every day praying. Scott? Yes. In addition, they had the prayers that you would say on waking up, on going to the bathroom, <laughs> on your clothing. It's a very quick prayer. Blessed are you, O Lord, our God. And then you fill 
in the blank, <laughs> the maker, who <laughs> the one for using the bathroom is the music. But the, <laughs> the point is that you built it into your rhythm of the day that you're turning to the Lord. And the aim was to actually say about a hundred of those in a day. <laughs> uh, hallelujah. That's our that's our roots, kids. So much of Christianity has to do with paying attention and the willingness to slow down and think. Psalm 119.130 says, The unfolding of words gives light. It imparts understanding to the simple. What does that mean? Pay attention to words. you got to break them down sometimes. you got to like look at the truth and... Be willing to slow things down and take times to think about the meaning of the... This is precisely how important ideas get weaved into our lives. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15.10 these words, By the grace of God I am what I am, and His grace towards me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, Though it was not I, but the grace of God that is, is with me. Now, listen up, church. Effort is not contrary to God's grace. In fact, in one of the clearest statements in Scripture on this idea, we hear Peter say, Because God has granted us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that, that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, because God's already provided everything you need, for this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and your virtue with knowledge, and your knowledge with self-control, and your self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Take a moment to reflect on what the Apostle Peter is saying here. Because by means of God's grace, he has actually made it possible for human beings to change. Did you know that? You don't have to stay the same. You can become mature. You can grow up. You can learn to be more patient. Uh, I was, there was a, uh, I want to tell you a little side story. The editor of the East Orange online paper asked me to write a column about living in East Orange for 35 years. And uh, I've decided what I'm going to call it, Dodtown Pride. <laughs> and I was thinking to myself, how do you turn a neighborhood into a community? What's the first thing that occurs to you when you hear that question? First thing you got to do is you got to pay attention. Do you have a neighbor that's struggling with 
getting some things out of their car. Have you ever gone over and said to your neighbor, I'm Scott, glad to meet you. We met a couple of folks yesterday who understood the suffering of a Cleveland Browns fan because they were Cubs fans. <laughs> and they'd gone years without, and they said, we, we saw your, your Cavs t-shirt. I had my Cavs t-shirt on. She goes, he goes, what do you think they're going to do this year? And I said, I hope they win it all again. And he said, we know the agony of being a Cubs fan. We've got decades without championships. And he said, we felt for you when we saw your shirt. <laughs> that wasn't exactly the effect I was trying to get. I, I thought the LeBron James name would carry the weight, <laughs> you know. We are encouraged to make our best effort to this end. If you want to become a better person, you can count on God's assistance. And Jesus speaks something truly remarkable in John 17, that there is a reason God made the world before any created thing existed. Did you ever think to yourself, what existed before anything was made? Jesus said that before the foundation of the world, the Father loved the Son. It is at least a bit surprising to find that the Scripture describes. Is it not at all surprising to find that the Scriptures describe God as love? And whoever abides in in love abides in God, and God abides in him. Why did God the Creator make anything? He's a completely self-sufficient being. He doesn't need anything. It's not like God was insecure and he needed a bunch of sycophants to satisfy his need to be appreciated, like he had to have people yelling his name, oh, you're great God. That's not true. If God had no choice but to love us, he would not be free. It's because he's motivated by perfect love that makes his interest in hum human beings so remarkable. In fact, Jesus informs us that this remarkable love between the Father and the Son is the motivating divine energy that fuels creation. Jesus tells us that just as the Father loves Jesus, Jesus loves us. Get your mind around that, church. You're talking about the most phenomenal love the universe has ever seen, the love between the Father and the Son. And Jesus is making the claim that just as the Father loves me, I love you. Who would endure rejection, torture, abuse, even his father's darkened countenance, which caused Jesus to cry out, why have you forsaken me? And what is even more remarkable when you consider how selfish human beings can be, that God still reveals himself as a God. Say this to yourself. God, the most remarkable divine being in the universe, wants to be my friend. 
Come on, are your, are your minds not blown? The creator of all things certainly could reasonably expect to be listened to, but imagine God saying these words to you. No longer, Kevin Gann, do I call you servant, even though I could command you to cower in your measly smallness, because servants don't have to be... Did you ever go to the, the checkout aisle and, and express concern for how the checkout girl was doing? No, you're, you're there to do business. You don't really care if she's having a rough day. Most of the time, we, because we say, you know, they're supposed to do this job. They're supposed to check me out, and they're supposed to not complain about it. Servants don't have to be told anything, for a servant doesn't have any right to know what the master is doing. But Creator God says this to us, I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. And is that, and what is God saying? I'm just about to fix everything. And I'm putting you guys right close to the fire. So remember what was going on in John 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17. Jesus has given them his last will and testament before he goes to the cross. I'm just about to fix the universe. Jesus Christ is going to go to the cross willingly, not complaining, not being a wimp. He, he wanted to die for my sins because he was my friend. And he, he chose me. I, I, I didn't have enough sense to choose him. I had to be chosen by him in order to get myself straightened out. The gospel sabotages all forms of self-salvation. Our need is so great that it took the death of the Son of God to save us. The good news is that Jesus went willingly and gladly to the cross for us. In Jesus' humanity, we see the cure to human selfishness and why the cornerstone of Jesus' mission is to be friendship. It transforms what's possible. I've been thinking a lot about how do you change a neighborhood? How do you get people to start thinking differently about just even like pieces of paper on the street and stuff? How do you get them to care about these things? It must be intended because being a true friend in some sense means imitating the selflessness of Jesus. How do you patiently walk together for long enough to move to honesty which Paul commends as one of the most important elements of community. Ephesians 4.15, Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. Paul informs us that community calls us to put off our old self, that selfish version that exercises so much influence over your emotional life. Since coming to Christ, has given you a new set of choices you may now make. It's actually possible to forgive where before you may, maybe would have held a grudge. 
and your tongue can be a source of blessing. Just as the Father loves Jesus, so Jesus loves us. Jesus loves us just as much as the Father loves him. We cannot earn Jesus' love. Our obedience to Jesus merits nothing, (coughs) but it profits greatly. Jesus' commands are not burdensome. They are for our best. And he has fulfilled the demands and the judgments of God's law that could condemn us. Hallelujah. So what's possible when men and women begin to think about friendship? They can, they can make each other better people. They can exercise patience and, and consistency. And did you ever have a friend just say, I want to pray for you? That's a wonderful feeling to hear, to hear those words come out of a person's mouth. I want to pray for you. It's the most loving thing you could possibly do for me. You're calling on the creator of the universe and you're asking him to do something for me that I can't do myself. Please, pray for me, church. And uh, let's prepare ourselves for the Lord's table now.